Hello, everybody, and welcome to Swine Doc Pod with Carthage. My name is Dr. Clayton Johnson. I'm a partner and veterinarian at Carthage Veterinary Services and the host of Swine Doc Pod with Carthage. I do want to take a moment to give a big thank you to Jim Eady and his team with swineweb.com. We could not have put together this podcast series without Jim's assistance. He runs a wonderful website that really um, gathers a lot of different hot topic information from the pork industry at swineweb.com. And you can find this podcast as well as a lot of other good information about what's going on in the industry by just going to swineweb.com. Now, I'm fortunate today to have with me Dr. Will Fombell from our veterinary team here at Carthage. Will, thanks for joining us on the podcast this week. I appreciate it, Clayton. Thanks for the opportunity to be on the call. Now, Will, you are probably the most famous veterinarian within our team, but just in case that there is anybody out there who hasn't met you before who might be listening, why don't you give a little bit of a, a background to the audience about yourself? Sure, sure. I'm a 2015 grad of the, the U of I vet school. Uh, grew up in the, the east part of Illinois, central Illinois, um, and have, have been with Carthage since graduation. Um, I typically work with kind of a, a mix of, of external clients and some of the, the Carthage system farms um, that we help uh, do the vet service for. So um, I appreciate being on the, the podcast today and, and look forward to it. Will, one of the things that I enjoy about working with you is you've always got a very practical sense about what we're trying to do on uh, on farms. Um, you know, obviously you're a veterinarian and you spend a lot of time in the health world, but you kind of grew up in the industry, right? You, you bring a little bit of that production background, both from your personal history, as well as some of your early trainings at Carthage. You want to talk a little bit about your background and how that kind of helps position you to help farmers, no matter if it's a classic health problem or maybe just something else going on at the farm. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yep. So, so growing up, uh, my dad had 120 thousand, so a typical, you know, 90s uh, swine producer uh, until the late 90s when we all knew what happened then. Um, so then we uh, divested the sows and uh, went to a contract finishing operation there. So, so lots of time in the barn as a young kid. Um, and then uh, went through vet veterinary school, uh, spent my first year of my veterinary career in the production world um, as a production manager um, for the for the Carthage system. So got to learn all the, the aspects around production and the, the breed the wean side and the, the wean the finish side. So it was a, a great year of, of production training and, and use it every day. So. Yeah, I think that's neat, Will. And I think that's a great lead into our topic today. We're gonna talk a little bit about the nutrition and health crossroads and you've got a specific case study to share with us about you know a challenging situation where you know it was a health problem but there were nutrition components to it and you know one of the the jobs that we have as a pig veterinarian is to not only look out for health in terms of the classic infectious disease stuff but also look out for all the other problems that uh, can contribute to poor health at a farm you want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, trying to, to look at all areas of technical services while you're on a farm? Yeah, sure. Sure. I, I mean, I think it goes back to what we discussed before that, you know, the, the veterinarian is, is one of the ones that's in the barn most of the time, you know, besides production, uh, production tech. So um, they may, you know, they may not be just a health issue. It may be something else that, you know, we need to help that producer 
uh, with to benefit their system. And, you know, we just can't get that specialist into the barn, but we can help bring that producer in contact with the right professional to help solve the problem. So this is a, a great example of that. And, and by no means am I a, a nutritionist at all or have any expertise, but using the tools that we have was able to, to put the, uh, put the pieces together and help make that decision. So. I know, Will, you work with, um, you know, smaller independent producers that don't have a nutritionist on staff and certainly don't have a veterinarian, you know, maybe don't have as much exposure to the, the technical world, but you also work with some big systems in the United States that have the luxury of having some of the best and brightest minds working for them. Do you see a huge discrepancy between those two different types of clients? And I guess the, uh, the likelihood that they're going to run into, whether it's a nutrition challenge or something that is kind of unusual, or do you feel like, you know, even for the, the big systems with, with lots of resources and lots of technical expertise that they still kind of suffer from some of the same challenges. And I shouldn't say suffer, right. But they, they, they have some of the same challenges we all do with whether it's nutrition or, or any other area that can negatively impact the health program. Yeah. I, I think both, both sides of that uh, do see similar issues. And I mean, on the independent producer side, I think is as aggressive as that producer wants to get. Um, I think that that definitely, definitely helps. So, I mean, we've got, we've got 300, 500 sal clients that, that have the same nutritionist that a system does with 30,000 sal. So I think as, as, as into it as the producer wants to get, uh, we can help make those introductions and, and, uh, and help, you know, put the pieces together. So I am lucky that, you know, I get to work with, with, uh, the, the cartridge system a lot with their internal team and their nutritionists. And then also on the, on the outside system with the, the CVS side with our own, uh, with our own PhD nutritionists too. Um, we're kind of spoiled in that regard that we've got access to all these valuable tools. So I appreciate that too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you said it very well and that, um, the attention to detail, and really the ability to highlight that this is a zebra situation and not a horse situation, right? To say, all right, this isn't a purse break or this isn't, you know, just a, a cut and dry infectious disease situation. There's something else going on here. I think that's probably more important in quickly identifying one of these unique cases where it's, it's not just infectious disease that's causing the health problem. I think that's probably way more important than how many nutritionists you have or how many DVMs or PhDs in your company. That's of thing. Is that fair to say? No, I agree. Yep. hundred percent. Well, talk to us a little bit about the, the case study that you've got. Well, as I understand, it's a, it involves a nursery and some nutrition challenges that contributed to eventually a health bad outcome, but yep. frame the case up for us. What, what's the, the site like? What were the presenting clinical signs? How'd you work it up? Start taking us through this. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting case. So, um, an 8,000 8, head nursery site. Um, so those pigs go in there as wean pigs and come out at, at 60 pounders. Um, they presented, got a phone call with increased mortality. And it's kind of a, kind of a, you know, plain Jane call. And then as we dug into it, we were able to, to get out some, some good ideas here. So um, what, what the caretaker would say is, okay, elevated mortality. I've got, you know, pigs that are going down with lameness. Um, I've got what I think is strep suis with some neurological clinical signs, pigs down paddling. So kind of a, kind of a big kind of nonspecific, you know, presentation here is, you know, there may be one thing happening, there may be three things happening. So 
um, we were able to get veterinary eyes to the site, um, which I think is, is, is great to get someone that's in there and can just, you know, diagnose or bring in the teams they need to. So that veterinarian was yourself, was able to get in there and, and help me diagnose this um, as I was in another site. Um, so as we got in there, um, these pigs were going down um, pretty well. There was there was ear necrosis around 30% of the population. So that that was not one of the presentations on the phone, which was why it's very important to get in the barn and see this kind of stuff. So um, as we can slowly piece this together, um, yes, you know, we did have pigs down paddling with strep. We did see pigs with ear necrosis. As we got looking at what was called lameness, um, it was interesting um, that most of those pigs that were lame or actually had broken bones. So that caretaker noticed it, um, but didn't notice that they were broke, you know, as we would do necropsy, et cetera, um, to, to evaluate that. So as we sure. did, we, we, we did necropsy there. Um, the interesting part there with, with, when you look at the rib cage of a, of a feeder pig, that those ribs should be nice and hard um, and not, you know, and very, very tight there. So these, these ribs were actually nice and, and, and rubbery. So just on gross necropsy there, we were able to decide, man, there's something off here as, as these, these ribs are not acting like they normally should. So with the amount of broken bones and, and quote rubbery ribs um, in the population, we are able to kind of go down a pathway of, oh shoot, um, maybe we've got something else besides the health challenge going on in the barn. Yeah. And this site historically, Will, is kind of a problem site for mortality. They've always got this sort of deal going on, or was this kind of unique? Yeah, this is unique. Uh, this system is 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 PERS naive, mycoplasma naive, so very good health, very very good production. So this is definitely stands out, um, and and hence the call really quick. Those caretakers notice that, man, this is this is really abnormal, and and we need to get somebody here to look at it. So, you know. Now, um, as a veterinarian, I know that I can do diagnostics on the infectious disease stuff, right? If I, if I think it's PERS, I can send in some samples and I can figure that out with diagnostic tests. Can you do the same thing when you run into one of these cases where you think nutrition might be a, a, a part of the challenge? Absolutely. And, and I'd tell you, the first thing to do is call a nutritionist and get a baseline of, of what you should be doing and what kind of samples you should take and what you know the baseline level should be. So at this point in the story, we had wrapped that up, um, brought in the nutrition team and kind of said, hey, this is what we're seeing. Um, and and I'm, a, I'm a DVN veterinarian and, and I'm going to work through my three or four diagnoses of, of, the, of the pathogens it could be. But let's bring in your expertise and say, OK, you know, what are the four or five differentials in this case? And then how should we tackle that? So absolutely. Yep. Feed samples were taken. Um, we can send those feed samples to to. Um, either diagnostic labs or feed labs to run specific nutritional analysis on those samples. Yeah. In, in this situation, Will, was any of the challenge just with intake? I mean, was it a situation where the diets were all fine, the rations were good, the pigs just weren't consuming enough of it for that bone development or something like that? Yeah, it actually ended up being a kind of a head scratcher there as we got those, those rations back. It was a lack of ingredients in that diet. Um, that played the that played the uh, played the card there. So so as we know, limestone and calcium was a very big part of the diet and bone development and growth, et cetera. These diets basically had no supplemental calcium in the diet. So as we run those run those samples and we get those levels back, that's that's why I 
I keep saying it's nice to have a someone else that specialize in that area because you know this is the baseline you should see and then this is what we had so we are able to see you know calcium was basically not in the diet and then the the vtm the vitamin trace mineral pack that we put in that diet as well um had about 66 two-thirds of what it should in that diet so it was to your question it was not a lack of the pigs getting up and eating they were quite healthy and just eating a diet that didn't have what it should in it so yeah. yep yep and i think it's always important for us as veterinarians to remember that you know our health program can contribute to some new nutrition challenges because if, if the pigs are sick then they're not going to eat right and if they're not eating i had a good nutritionist tell me once you know it doesn't matter what i put in the in the in the feeder if the pigs don't eat it it doesn't do them any good right so i think when we see these situations where there is something missing we've always got to say well start with is it an intake problem or is the intake fine and, and we've got something going on with what they're actually eating absolutely yeah yep did you do any uh, pig diagnostics in this case? You mentioned that you did some diagnostics on the actual rations themselves, yeah. but any diagnostics on the pigs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as we, we talked through the, the ear necrosis um, and the, the neurologic disease, we did know that that, that particular south farm flow does have a, a, a prevalence of strep suis in that flow, which, which can obviously show neurological and clinical signs. But just, you know, the first thing you go to is, oh, shoot, I want to be sure that we don't have any big big boy pathogens like PERS and, and other diseases that we want to be sure just because of the, the area that that system is in, um, we want to be sure. So of course you got to go down the road of, you know, is this a PERS break and PERS can be very, very uh, different in how it presents in, in every pig. So, you know, we worked up tissue and we worked up other things of that nature to be sure we didn't have a, a, a pathogen that we didn't know we had. Yeah. Yep. And I, I think that's uh, important because, again, as veterinarians, we've got to do what we can to help with the situation. And I'm mm -hmm. sure there were some pigs that had some troubles with strep, right? And uh, mm -hmm. we can fix the diets and that may not fix that issue to include yep. the strep problem or whatever other problems are there, right? Mm -hmm. So it's incumbent on us when we run into these things to still look for the areas we can use our expertise to help while also engaging the technical experts in the other areas so they can help shore up, you know, whether it's nutrition in this situation or anything else, um, they can help shore up that end as well. Absolutely. How do you... How do you kind of engage the new the nutrition team, right? Um, whether it's uh, somebody that you work with regularly or maybe a nutritionist that you you haven't worked mm -hmm. with before, how do you open up this can of worms where you, you're mm -hmm. you're not you know really confronting them necessarily, but you're saying, hey, I think there's a challenge here and one we've got to make better. How do you do that in kind of a, a partnership first, team first spirit, so that you don't mm -hmm. you don't alienate somebody with the first communication? Yeah, I mean, think. Uh, two parts of that would be, you know, one past experience. If it's a, if someone that you've worked with routinely, which which we all have, and and past experiences together, and you know, a a new a new person that you worked with, I think it's one be respectful, and and you know, I always say, you know, I I am not trained in nutrition. Um, help me help the producer. I mean that. I mean we we're both on the same goal. We both have the same goal and where we want to be. Um, so I think that, you know, frame it up that way that, you know, we're just trying to help that producer, um, improve. So. Yeah, very good. 
Will, where do you where do you find yourself going to for nutrition information? Whether it's kind of reference values or um, you know troubleshooting tips, is there are there some kind of common sources of material that you feel are good out there in the industry that you can reference for nutrition facts when you need them, or just you know always always call the nutritionist that you're closest <laughs> to in your phone book? Yeah, yeah. I mean, personally, I you know I've got some I've got some swine nutrition uh, literature at home because I know that's you know that's one of those areas if if it's not veterinary medicine that's that's one of the areas that we see more. Um, so I I definitely try to try to self teach myself a little bit so I don't completely sound like I don't know what I'm talking about. But yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, talk with I mean have a, have a good relationship with with that professional. Um, and, you know, there's, there's three or four or five that, that I talk with all the time. Um, Kansas State University has a great uh, swine nutrition um, <clears throat> section of their college. So I, I go on their website. They've got a lot of good training material there on Kansas State um, that I use quite a bit. So um, that would probably be the biggest one I use. And then, and then I just poke the individuals I know that know the answer. Yeah. Yeah. Big, big shout out to the Kansas State team and all the different alumni that have been through their nutrition and animal sciences program. Um, you know, you can't work in this industry without being impacted by somebody who's come through that training program and really appreciate, you know, to, to all the Kansas State professors that are there continuing to put those students out into our industry. Really appreciate what you guys are doing. Um, certainly the U of I puts out the best vets in the world. We know that well, Absolutely. Uh, but I think Kansas state is, uh, has actually done an excellent job in all seriousness with, with developing nutrition uh, professionals for our industry. Um, one of the things that I think of when I think with Kansas state, well, is, you know, I think of, uh, Steve Dreets and, uh, Jordan Gephardt now, but I think of some, some individuals that have been cross-trained both in nutrition and in veterinary medicine. Well, do you do you have any kind of other technical uh, expertise out there that you think is really beneficial for veterinarians to dive into? We've talked about nutrition and maybe that's it, right? But yeah. nutrition, genetics, environmental management, if yeah. you were going to go get a master's degree, so to say, in something else, or even if you were just going to be trying to study it up to make yourself more technically competent in another area to help improve your veterinary and production skills, do any of those other technical areas stand out where you'd say, man, as a vet, it really helps if you also speak this language? Yeah, I mean, personally, uh, we alluded to it a little bit before, but production for me would be, I mean, it's its not a, I wouldn't call it a, a perf, uh, somewhere you can go to school to learn it. You got to learn it in the barn. But that first year I spent um, out of vet school, I mean, that was probably, I learned more there about pigs than I learned in, in four years of vet school, right? So I would say to all the all the young vets out there, we got to get in the barn and 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 talk with the production guys because you'll learn a lot um, just following those guys around and and even if it, if it's for a couple of week a days or a week or a month or whatever it is, but um, that was that was very beneficial for me um, to speak that barn talk. And then also, I mean, uh, learning Spanish too would be <laughs> would be good too as yep. as you know, as we go through um, the industry. So that's not a profession, but those two things, I think, uh, make a lot of sense. Yeah, you know, I couldn't agree more on the Spanish, right? Um, the ability to communicate effectively in barn mm -hmm. uh, to, to all the different workers that we have is, is a, a huge way to differentiate your services as a veterinarian and really mm -hmm. your services as anybody who's going to the barn to try to help. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the production thing, you make a great point. Um, there's so much wisdom and experience that you can gather from somebody who's worked in production for years. And you really, you know, if you work closely with somebody in production, you gain a true appreciation for what those folks go through all the time, whether mm-hmm. it's the nonstop alarm calls that are coming through or, you know, some of the HR hassles that they have to deal with, um, you know, on top of their day job of, of running a pig operation. Um, which is more and more complex all the time. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit, Will, but uh, you and I have gotten the chance to work with some awesome production professionals. So I'm going to ask you to give some thank yous here. I'll let you think <laughs> about it for a second. But, yep. you know, I, I know you'll feel bad because you're going to feel like you're forgetting a few folks. But, yep. you know, give a shout out or two to some people who have had a really positive impact on your career and, and maybe that continue to do so today. That, yep. you know, production folks who have shared that knowledge and wisdom with you. Yep. No, I appreciate that. Um, and, and, and like you said, I hope I don't forget anybody, but I mean, that, that first year, uh, or 14 months I spent really, uh, Chris Blevins, Jose Santiago, I spent, I mean, I spent lots of days and nights in the truck with those guys. Um, Lance Dunbar, Fred Kerr, um, spent a lot of time in, in, in barn, out of barn with those guys that first 14 months. Um, and he, well, I guess I should go back. Dad, my dad first was my first production um, guy I, I learned pigs from. So really started there. Um, and then ended, yeah, ended with a nice year of, of production with the, the cartridge system. Yep. Yep. Well, very good. Will. um, I really appreciate your taking the time today to chat with us about this case. Um, you know, uh, an unusual case. And I think fair to say that one that you wouldn't be able to solve very quickly without partnering up with that nutrition expert to kind of mm-hmm. quickly get to the finish line. You want to talk us through a little bit of the timeline, even with aggressive partnership and quick submission yep. on the diagnostics. How long is it, in, you know, in these unusual cases where I don't just need the PERS PCR to tell me what to do, mm-hmm. what's a reasonable expectation for how long from when you collect those samples till you get some understanding of what the true root cause is? Yeah, yeah. So in, in, in this case in particular, you know, like you said, the the, the veterinary results came in, in two, three, four days, right? The PCRs by the time the UPS got to the lab. Um Two things that we did do there. One, we did send the feed samples off there and, and it just depends on the lab and how long it takes to get there. So I'd say a week to two weeks to kind of figure all that out. Um, we spent a lot of time there in the feed mill itself going through the batch numbers and trying to figure out, you know, where where that where that particular mill went wrong and how how they mixed the diet. So that was that was that took a, a, a fair amount of time just to kind of figure out, you know, how that happened and why it happened. But I'd say, you know best case scenario, you're looking at a week to two weeks by the time, you, you know, everything comes back and you, you see everything. So, um, I mean, the, the quickest thing was getting in the barn, seeing it, because as, as we talked about, you know, the, the clinical signs weren't all expressed on that first phone call. So if you just took that and ran with it, you would have missed probably everything in this case. So. Yeah. I think another thing, you know, my, my own observations from it is because this site and the system has a history of very good production, you know, those, uh, those hiccups, so to say, stick out. Right. But if this site had a history of, you know, lots of disease breaks, or maybe they were placing really tough purse pigs, something like that. If they'd have called and said, we lost a couple percent of the pigs, it might not have bubbled up to very high on the priority list. And you might've, mm-hmm. you might've made the mistake of just, you know, uh, say, tell them to send in a couple of samples and then you get your strep yeah. and, you know, you think you got a medication that solves it might delay that timeline just mm-hmm. because the site 
site has a historical health challenge or a bad health history. And, it, you know, you really don't prioritize the investigation like you do if the site normally is very healthy. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And, and you know, a lot of people say it is never, never don't take a chance to necropsy something because you never know what you're going to find when you get in there. I mean, if, 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 uh, if, if we haven't kept those pigs open and noticed the, the rubbery joints and the broken bones, I mean, we wouldn't have went down that path. We would have said, oh, let's go chase strap or chase something else. So never, never take that chance not to necropsy something, I would say. Well, we're giving thank yous. I'll give one to John Waddell. Uh, John Waddell taught me once when I was in vet school, as I was doing a necropsy, he said, the worst thing you can do is not look right. You've taken all the time to open this pig up. Um, you know, make sure that you look at everything and if it's normal, move on. Right. But, you know, once you learn normal on a necropsy, the abnormal stuff sticks out like a sore thumb and, you know, soft ribs and stuff like that. I may not exactly know what to do next but I know that it's not normal and I know who to go talk to. Right. I know, okay, calcium, bone, all that stuff. Right. I got to get a nutritionist involved here. And ultimately, you know, the old saying two heads are better than one, even if one's just a head of cabbage. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Will, for uh, sharing that observation with us. Thanks for telling us a little bit about your story. And um, I just want to echo the things you said, you know, the thanks that you gave out there to the production folks that you've worked with historically. And, you know, a thanks to all the production folks that we get to work with on an everyday basis. They have a thankless job. And whether you're working in the Carthage system or with one of the many different, you know, uh, clients that we have of just the vet clinic outside of the Carthage system, really appreciate everything you guys do to produce a safe and whole some product that we're all really proud to feed to our families. With that, we'll go ahead and wrap up on this edition of Swine Doc Pod with Carthage. I want to thank my guest, Will Fombell, for joining us today. Um, and thank you uh, for listening. And again, a big thank you to Jim Eady and his team at swineweb.com for all their help uh, to put this on. Thank you, and I hope you have a great day.